Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. The Music Therapy Show is back for another month. Today is February 9th, 2017. And, uh... Dr. Megan Maskow is with me today to talk about the Music Therapy Perspectives, Volume 34, Number 2, from 2016. Welcome, Megan. Hi, Dana. Thanks for being on with me and for uh, pulling the, the heavy workload while I am trying to madly finish school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was kind of a Goodness. thick episode. Uh, episode. It was a thick episode. But speaking of episodes, I think we're on episode 231 today. Um, All right. But there's a, a thick issue of music therapy perspectives. So let's jump in. It was hefty. And see if we can cover it in 30 minutes. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, it was hefty. So the first one. All right. Yeah. This one uh, has a special focus on multicultural music, musical competence. So there's a guest editorial about that and then four articles that were pretty thick related to multicultural musical competence. And then, uh, and then the rest of the journal has some of the regular features. So there was an article on clinical practice, three research articles, and two book reviews. So the editorial was done by, or the guest editorial, was done by Laurel Young, Dr. Laurel, Dr. Young uh, from Concordia University in Canada. And she wrote on multicultural musical competence in music therapy. Yeah. This is a pretty standard editorial that just. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But it did a nice job of summarizing the the special focus and kind of preparing you for what was coming next. Um, And what comes next is the musical multicultural competency in music therapy, the first Step article by Dr. Susan Hadley and and uh, Marisol Norris, and this is as somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about cultural competence. Um, I think this is a fabulous, fabulous article. It can be very challenging for people to read. I know that there were times when I was reading it and I kind of had to go, "Oh, okay, hmm, this is challenging how I think about my own culture. This is challenging how I think about my uh, privilege. This is thinking of." It's a challenging article, but I highly recommend it because it it does a great job of explaining what it means to be culturally competent. And the first step of being culturally competent is having a thorough understanding of your own culture, your own identities. And then the next step is recognizing how your culture and identities influence how you see the world around you and how you behave in relationship to the world around you. And what I appreciated about this article and the articles to come is that they really focus in on music and music therapy and how does your particular culture 
um, influence your practice as a music therapist and what can we be doing to improve that? And as somebody who is a cisgender, straight, Christian, white woman, I recognize that I have a lot of privilege and that I see the world in one particular way. Um, And that can be, um, depending on how I work with that, right, it can be my cultural identity could help me relate to some clients, but it also could be off-putting to some other clients. So uh, this article I thought was a great place, probably not for the music therapy student who's just getting their feet wet, but, you know, as somebody who's a practicing clinician, I thought that the depth of this article was was challenging and extremely helpful. Um, And I like that they sort of dip their toes into the concept of social justice um, I think that's some place as a profession that we need to be pushing a little bit more. Um, and I also appreciated that they were very clear about how this can be a painful process, learning about who you are and then trying to unlearn some of the biases that you've grown up with um, can be a really difficult process. But in the end, it, it really is worth it. Um, and they give some good, some good ideas of they talk about, you know, explore your cultural identity, understand your own inner dialogue, your own inner, I guess, monologue. <laughs> um, and then, you know, work really hard to stay engaged. Work, learn, you know, essentially learn and engage with people who are different from you. Um, and really that will make you a better therapist in the end, hopefully. Great. But yeah. I was yeah. going to ask if you thought it would be good for students and, and you think it should be maybe a little too heavy for students at this time. You know, I would say if you're, like, if you're teaching a class, so at, at my university, as a university, we have a really, we have a focus on social justice and cultural competence as an institution. And so, you know, I would, I'm probably not going to give that article to an intro to music therapy class, but I might give it to juniors right. or seniors. Yeah. Okay. Interns. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, next we have one, one. Can I talk about it? Because it's one of my favorite articles. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm just getting really excited. So I hope Michael's listening. Um, I love it when Michael writes. First of all, he's a fabulous writer. And he writes about things that are, his clinical practice is really different from mine. And so I love love reading about what he's doing. Um, But this is the article, Exploring the Discourse in Hip-Hop and Implications for Music Therapy Practice um, by Dr. Michael. Is it Vieja or Viega? I can never remember. Uh, Viega. I, I just listened to his, uh, his interview with uh, uh, Andrew Knight and the Music Therapy Research Blog podcast, and yeah, it was he's Viega. Brilliant. <laughs> he's brilliant. Uh, so much love yeah. to Dr. Viega because I love his work. Um, so very different from mine. I think it's one of the reasons why I appreciate it. So what? there are lots of things I loved about this article. The first thing I so appreciated is that he actually goes through and he talks about the language, you know, around hip-hop. And, and the hard part is, you know, on the radio, I can't say because it all sounds like hip-hop, right? <laughs> but when you actually look mm-hmm. at the article, hip-hop is spelled and capitalized and spaced differently um, to help people understand that there is there's a commercial product which is what most of us think of when we think about hip-hop and then there is what is termed the cultural engagement with the artistic and stylistic elements of rap and that's hip-hop capitalized and then with both hip and hop capitalized and then 
hip hop with just the first letter capitalized is viewed to is quote viewed to be the spiritual and creative force from which hip hop culture and its refinitions, another word I love, were born. And I as somebody who I live with a sixteen year old who loves hip hop uh, and who listens to a lot of hip hop and it he really connects with it. Um, and so as as a parent sort of coming in and trying to enter his world, his musical world, um, I this this article helped me sort of understand, I think, a little bit more about hip hop and why people do connect to it. And I know that I, there are times when I really connect to it as well. Um, so, and he does a great job of talking about how we really have to talk about we have to talk about this this not just this genre but all of the the pieces that go along with it the context in which it lives the spiritual realm in which it lives this is i mean this is a deep topic hip hop um and we really need to talk about it at that deeper level and he also talks about something that stood out to me are the ethical considerations when utilizing rap music in therapy um I, again, white, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant female, um, this was very educational to me. And I love that he goes through the different levels of clinical practice, you know, on, the, um, on what I call the supportive level, he calls the augmentative level. Um, you know, how would, we, how would you use rap and hip-hop? On the, um, on the re-educative level, how would you use hip-hop? And then on the, the reconstructive level of therapy, how would you use hip hop? And I have never thought about hip hop like that before. So this article oh, really, yeah, right. This article really expanded my thinking about this. I, in my my personal clinical practice, hip hop doesn't come up a lot. Um, but I think any time that you read something or you have the opportunity to experience somebody else's clinical practice. Um, it can really open up your mind to think, it can change the way that you fundamentally think about music and music therapy and the whole therapeutic process. And this article really did that for me, especially that part about thinking about hip hop within these different levels or depths of therapeutic interaction with people. Um, fabulous historical information about hip hop. And then starting on page 142, he has very concrete, specific suggestions about using hip-hop and music therapy and considerations for using hip-hop and music therapy. And a lot of it is about what music therapists need to know and what music therapists need to do because this is a, it is a culture. And if we're going to enter into that culture, we need, to be, we need to be sensitive to it and we need to understand it as much as possible and we need to understand, again, our own cultures and biases um, so that we can learn and genuinely engage with people. But fabulous, fabulous article. Um, he talks about sort of creating this, um, what he calls hip-hop perspective, which is on page 145. Um, and then he does some reflection, too, about what it's like, you know, his personal journey um, into hip-hop, the capital H and capital H for both letters, um, so more fabulous work out of Dr. Viega. Um, if you work with adolescents, 
if you would like to work with adolescents, if you live with adolescents, um, <laughs> I would highly, highly recommend this article because, again, you know, it, it has really opened up my mind and sort of changed the way that I think about this particular genre of music and the entire culture and spiritual force that, you know, is within it and around it. So, fabulous. Great. Always good work. So I've been trying to figure out what refinitions mean. Oh, he, he defines it. Um, In his, in his vocabulary list there, he does define refinitions and I believe Oh, if you hadn't asked me, I told you. Um, it refined definition. Yeah. So refinitions are like all of the ways that hip hop gets expressed. So it's not just music; it's also art and dance, and um, like he talks about. Oh. Um, okay, I see it here. It says. It says hip hop culture is refined. On on the first page, 138, hip in, in the definition, or the number two, the hip-hop cultural engagement with the two uh, words capitalized, says uh, refinitions, oh, hip-hop culture is reflected in its artistic elements, which KRS-One calls refinitions. The refinitions include graffiti art, uh, DJing, breaking, MCing, beatboxing, sounds and electronic drums with voice. Oh, sorry, that was a definition of beatboxing. Uh, street language, street knowledge, and street entrepreneurialism. So uh, yeah, so essentially, it's like all the iterations okay. of the culture of cultural engagement. I just fabulous. So so different from my own personal life experiences. That it's mm-hmm. a little bit. A little bit, figuratively speaking, a little bit mind-blowing. So Nice. All right. And then uh, Nir Sadonovic. So, so, oh, sorry, Sadovnik. I'm sorry I am butchering your name because uh, this looks like a really good article called Shira Chadasha, A New Song for an Old Community. Yeah, so in this one... Um, we have a music therapist who I who is uh, a who is what does he call himself? He calls himself a he's culturally Jewish. He's Israeli born, um, but he's oh here it is a secular Israeli born Jewish male who is coming into a um, ultra orthodox Hasidic community or Hasidic community, um, a school for people with where they have folks who have developmental disabilities. So, and again, what a fabulous introduction to a community with which I have zero experience. Um, And, but which has a rich, deep cultural heritage. Um, And it, this is a, a qualitative article, it's a description of sessions happening over, it looks like the course of a school year, um, and how this group of individuals, we have, a, we have somebody who's visually impaired, somebody who has social, cognitive, and emotional delays with communication issues, um, and somebody who's nonverbal, um, who 
the therapist works with them and with one of their teachers, and they essentially put to, they don't essentially they do they put together this band through their process of improvisation and cre- so this is a creative music therapy approach to um, interaction with clients and they the author does a great job of describing how he tries to enter into this cultural realm that's very different from his own, even though he is Jewish, he still has a very different cultural background. Um, And what he has to learn in order to genuinely enter into this experience with the client um, and does a great job of describing the music. And frankly, I learned a lot about Hasidic music. Um, I did not know about Hasidic song structure before this, um, and he very he he is not self-deprecating, but is honest in saying, you know, I I needed to learn this, I needed to learn that. Um, you know, there are some there are even some language issues. He talks about how even though he speaks Hebrew fluently, the Hebrew that he speaks is very different from the dialect that th- this community speaks. Um, so. Very open and honest reflection. Um, talks about the importance of aesthetics and the reactions of the clients. What I love is that when you get to the description on page 151 of the 24th session, the, there are too many chords in the room and how the therapist uses music to help encourage emotional expression um, and meet the needs of the client right there in the moment, and then essentially turn what could have been a meltdown into a coping mechanism using, you oh. know, using music and entering into that moment with the client. Um, and I love all of the musical examples. <laughs> I love it when people include musical examples in their articles. Uh-huh. So we can see what it is that they've been doing, um, and yeah, I mean it's the so at the end the last the last little bit of this is um, talking about how they get to the end of the school year and they actually perform for the school, and how that is really empowering for the clients, but it's also kind of empowering for the other people in the in the school to see that these folks are competent, that they have gifts. Um, you know, they might not be like everybody else, but they are, they do have things to offer. And I love this idea of Hasidic funk. I don't know where one, I don't know, I don't know where one listens to Hasidic funk. It might only exist in this group, but um, if, if uh, Shira Hadasha, Hadash, Hadash, I can't say Hadasha, uh, once I ever put out an album, I would buy that. I would buy Hasidic Funk. <laughs> I would too. I, I was just thinking as you were talking that I'm so glad that we have this publication because I can't see or I don't know of another place where this article would go. Right. And then we would never have it without perspectives. So thanks. And she, yeah, Dr. I mean, Meadows and chances are. Editorial board. Right. And and Oxford University Press. Yay. I, yes. What I love about, again, about this article, I don't know that I will ever have, 
I don't know that I will ever have a clinical practice like this that's described in this article. But the overarching themes of this article are certainly applicable in clinical practice, right, about Mm -hmm. self-reflection and learning and um, being genuine and entering and how the therapist uses the music in the moment to create relationships and how that how those relationships evolve over time um, and how the how you know again presuming competence um, in our clients because this therapist clearly does that uh, presumes that the clients can do lots and lots of things so yeah again like like Dr. Viega's article very different from my own clinical practice but the themes and concepts can definitely help me improve as a clinician and as a teacher. Great. And then the next one is called Multiculturally Focused Medical Music Psychotherapy in Affirming Identity to Facilitate Optimal Coping During Hospitalization. And big shout-out to uh, John Montanaro because my graduate students are reading this article right now (laughs) in class. because we are talking about middle range theories and how they can be applied in music therapy practice. And this is a really beautifully written explanation of a middle range theory, um, the self-affirmation theory, and then how, how it gets applied in clinical practice. So yay. Thank you, uh, yay. Mr. Mondanaro, for <laughs> providing, providing a discussion topic for my students, my graduate students, who are learning about middle range theories. And I have oh, to say, I don't that's even something know what a middle range theory is. <laughs> um, so we have paradigm. I feel like we should have Bill Matney here. Dr. Bill Matney needs to be here for this discussion because this is so up his alley. Because uh, you, you know, way over on the level on the ladder of abstraction, you have, you know, philosophies and paradigms, and then you have grand theories that are sort of like the next level into concreteness, and then you have middle range theories. And middle range theories really help us understand you know, their conceptualizations of why people behave the way they do. What, in terms of health and wellness, you know, what is it that causes people to be healthy or unhealthy? Um, so the lecture I just gave was on the theory of meaning. And so the whole idea of the theory of meaning is that everybody is going to experience suffering. Everybody has a life purpose. We can't change those two things. People get ill, essentially, when they can't, when they cannot make progress towards their life purpose because of inevitable suffering. That was a terrible explanation of the theory of meaning. Sorry, Mr. Dr. Frankel, who developed that like 100 years ago. Um, <laughs> but the whole idea is that one of the ways that we create meaning in our lives and eventually move towards our life best is, by, um, is how we respond to inevitable suffering. Everybody's going to suffer. How we respond to suffering is really what determines our states of wellness or dis-ease, if you will. So those are middle-range theories. Mm-hmm. Um, Sherry Robb, Sherry Robb at IUUI, mm-hmm. um, is probably the closest thing we have right now to a music therapist who's working on a middle-range theory with her work with um, adolescents with cancer. So, but yeah, okay. so I'm really excited to see. I feel, like, I feel like you should have Bill Matney on sometime, just talk philosophy and theories. That's totally his. That's totally his uh, game. So, <laughs> um, 
Um, okay. So the middle, the the theory that that uh, Mandanaro is working with is this what's called self-affirmation theory, and the whole idea here is that individuals facing threat, so whether that's you know illness, can be affirmed in areas of themselves that are seemingly unscathed by the effects of a stressful event. That's a quote from page 155. And um, so essentially, the idea here is that we there are there are parts of people's identities that we can continue to affirm, right? It's sort of like, it's sort of like when somebody's had a stroke and we take, we work on the thing, we use music to help bolster the things that are still working really well, to help compensate for the things that are not working well, um, kind of in a really broad sense. That's what I think of when I think of this idea of affirming, you know, parts of people that are, have, are, are uh, quote, unscathed by a stressful event. Mm -hmm. So um, the author talks about um, what is, what is medical music psychotherapy, um, which is really this, it's a, an idea that we integrate mind, body, and spirit into therapy rather than dividing things out, which is what often what Western medicine does, right? Western medicine often talks about parts of people, your body, your mind, your spirit, um, whereas this concept of uh, medical music psychotherapy really thinks about people as being integrative wholes. Um, so then there are some case examples of how this, how this theory actually gets applied in clinical practice. And the case examples are fascinating. The first one is with a Romani family um, and gives a fantastic explanation of the challenges and the persecution and oppression and uh, genocide that people from the Romani culture have endured over history um, and how that right influences how they interact with the world and how that can in, how that also interact um, influences health and wellness and interactions with healthcare um, services so and then talks about a um, using music to, I believe it was, yeah, it's a, it's a little boy with epilepsy and um, how the therapist uses music and the parent's interaction through the music with the child as this really reassuring um, presence, you know, creates sort of a, creates a, a positive environment and really affirms the role of the parent in being parents to this child. So um, the, the next one is about a, an older Jewish woman who is at the end of life and she is very withdrawn. She has sort of just gone flat in terms of affect um, and how the therapist, I love this, this is ironically, there was no music making in our sessions, <laughs> but I was able huh. to understand and affirm her in her roles as a survivor. So again, here are the roles, recognizing the roles that the person has in life and then affirming those. Um, a survivor this is a person who survived World War II. Um, uh-huh. As a mother, as a daughter, a grandmother, a bookstore owner, a former pianist, um, so he, the, the therapist is able to, through conversation actually, affirm all of these identities. So, 
Um, and then we have the uh, affirming island culture. We're not going to get through all of these, but just the the therapist, the author provides these fabulous examples of how this theory, this affirmation theory, gets applied in these very culturally different um, situations with clients who are we could not be more different from one another. So, oh, that's fascinating. Um, uh, you could get lost in those stories. So then oh my the gosh, next yeah. article is, we're on the research part, right? The clinical practice part with Claire Getty, um, Dr. Getty, performing a family of practices, developments in a community music therapy across international contexts. And we've just got a few minutes left, so we'll have to sort of speed through the rest of this edition. Yeah, I would say for anybody who does not know what community music therapy is, you need to come read this article. There are textbooks that you can read, but I would start with this article because Dr. Getty does a fabulous job of of sort of defining community music therapy, but also recognizing that people who engage in community music therapy don't really want to nail it down too much. Um, and so I would recommend that you read that. I actually would recommend that people start with on page 166 because that's mm-hmm. where sort of the definition of community music therapy is, and then go back to the beginning of the article and then read again. Because <laughs> um, as I was, as somebody who doesn't have a ton of experience with community music therapy, when I got to page 166, I was like, oh, okay. And then that's what I did. I actually went back with that sort of new knowledge and then read it again, and it, it made more sense to me. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, All right. but it's great. And then the next it's great article. article. Oh, sorry. No, the next one is called A Year in Review, Summarizing Published Literature in Music Therapy in 2014. And uh, I actually did a lot of scanning of this, and I appreciated this articles like these because it, it just goes over the entire year 2014 and looks at all of the published research and so then and then lists them by categories so there's a section on children and then the different subsections on children and you can see how many articles were published on children 25 about music therapy and what journals they're in which makes it really nice if you only know about perspectives and JMT to see these other journals and then you can have a a better opportunity or chance of finding different music therapy articles. So as always, I love it when find an article, they publish these. Yes, you, I do too. And if, and how great is it that it was students who did it? Um, and yeah. I, I would love what I, I want to encourage therapists to use that article. And if you go through and you see something that is relevant to your practice, but it's not in JMT or it's not in perspective, go to your local library and get it through interlibrary loan. Mm-hmm. Librarians rock. They do. They're okay. amazing. Um, this All right, next, next one is by Stuart and McAlpin. And I know we don't have a ton of time, so this is Prominent Elements in Songwriting for Emotional Expression, an Integrative Review of Literature, another fantastic resource for people, uh, for clinicians. And I would like, I actually wrote, yay, for a chart. Um, On page 186, they have this beautiful chart that explains how they got to the the studies that they included in their synthesis, um, which I always appreciate. And then page 187, they actually have the journals that were included. 
and you know where you can, again, the title, the author, where you can find it, when it was published, the population. And then on page 188, they have um, another figure. They have a table and a figure, and they can show you what the most commonly used songwriting types were for these different populations. Mm-hmm. And so freeform songwriting was the most commonly used. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that piggyback was only used three times, I mean, in three different populations. Mm-hmm. And then they also have, um, they have the, the figure gives you an idea of the process that was used and then um, if the rationale that was offered. So I will say that I did okay. find it a little, a little disturbing on page 188 that there weren't very many people who were like, yeah, I, I chose to do this intervention because, you know, I looked at the literature or I found it to be, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, I was, sort of drove home that point I was to thinking me, about like, that as you were talking. And I, I was thinking yeah. that, that maybe this uh, article is really helpful because it helps to reveal that we need to explain our rationale more often, especially in publications. Uh, yep, straight up. I yeah. totally agree. All right, and then we have preoperative music therapy for pediatric ambulatory surgery patients, a retrospective case series. Yeah, by Dr. Gooding and Dr. Yinger and Dr. Iacono. Um, I don't know yeah. if I said that name right, because I don't know him, but I do know Lori and Olivia. Um, I The two points that I really pulled out of this article, they have – some, it's a very it's a small pool of clients with whom you know with whom they worked, um, a small pool of um, charts that were reviewed. But they do make a point of talking about this the importance of patient satisfaction, right? And that was something that came through very clearly in this data was how how much parents thought that music therapy benefited their child and improved their child's anxiety and distress, um, how much the parents thought they benefited from music therapy, and how much, how positive their view of the facility was because of the music therapy. And I know we just finished Music Therapy Advocacy Month, Social Media Advocacy Month, but, you know, patient satisfaction is crucial to people who are making decisions about whether or not to hire music therapists. And so even though this study was very small, um, it can, the information in it can, that's good information. If you're proposing services to a facility um, or, mm-hmm. you know, you're, this, especially pediatrics, I would put this article, a summary of this article in there. I would put data from this article in there because that patient satisfaction piece is really, really important to decision makers. Mm-hmm. All right, and then it ends with two book reviews. One is on music health and well-being by McDonald, Cruz, and Mitchell. Uh, And the review is by Dr. Wheeler, uh, and she recommended the book. Um, And then the other book review is Taking Music Seriously, Stories from South African Music Therapy. That sounded fascinating to me. The review uh, Mm of the book is edited by Pavel. Lichovic, Pablo Santos, and 
Oh, thank you. Oh, I don't know the last person. And then Osu. Oh, I don't. I just don't want to butcher your name. I'm so sorry. I should really learn more um, international name pronunciation, I guess. And then it uh, was uh, reviewed by a uh, music therapist from London. Cirrus? Yeah, I actually Perhaps know. I actually thinking. know. Um, it's Giorgos uh, Cirrus. Yeah. Oh, great. He's a great guy. So it looks like this book was highly recommended as well. So yeah, thank you, Megan, for uh, summing up the articles for me today. Uh, I really appreciate you helping me out with this <laughs> and being Always. my partner in crime. <laughs> so, and I just oh, want to note yeah. that uh, Blog Talk Radio has recently changed its uh, terms of service. Or, or you know, the way that I get to use it. Um, so I'm not entirely sure how much longer I'm going to get to use it because I'm not going to pay $400 a month for to do this radio show that I make no money off of. So, uh, or not a month. Sorry, that's a year. $39 a month. Um, oh my gosh. But anyway, I'm, I'm still not making any money off of this. So I'm not going to pay for it. Um, and uh, I do appreciate Blog Talk Radio, and it's let me be on there for a long time, and I'll keep doing it as long as it allows me. And if it doesn't someday, then I'll look into maybe another platform, uh, perhaps. All right, we'll be back to talk about the third edition or issue for 2016 of the Journal of Music Therapy on March 7th. So I'll talk to you then. Yep. Great. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.